light and momentary. That's how Paul describes the ordeals he's been through. I, I almost think that if if Paul were to walk in here today and you'd say, Paul, tell us about the things that you've gone through, he'd probably say, ah, they were they were light and momentary. He said in Philippians chapter four. I both know how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. I had a... Is that thing over there? (laughs) I had it somewhere, guys. I don't know where it is. There you go. I must have dropped it somewhere. If anybody sees a little thing like this, like this, it's... uh, you can either um, do this when I say that. <laughs> anyway, it's not Martha's fault either. Uh, I blame her a lot for stuff like this, but uh, anyway. All right, where was I? Light and momentary. <laughs> Paul says, I know how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And listen to this in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> you got to listen now, don't you? Yeah, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 22. Again, it's Paul speaking. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, Far worse beatings near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I have faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers in the sea, and dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship. Many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing, light and momentary. And when you look at the persecutions in the New Testament, the apostles were put in jail a number of times. They were beaten. And yet, here they are in front of the Sanhedrin and they come out and they've been beaten. and, And these are the same guys who have condemned Jesus and killed him. And they said, didn't we teach you not, didn't we tell you not to teach in his name? 
And they told him, they said, we must obey God rather than men. And this is when Gamaliel spoke up. And I, I call that the Gamaliel principle, and I, I've used it a number of times. When somebody comes along with something seemingly good, I say, you know what, leave it alone. Leave it alone. If it's of God, there's nothing we can do about it. But if it's of man, it'll die off. And that's exactly what Gamaliel said. And they flogged him. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, it says, Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored, dishonored on behalf of the name. And tradition has that every apostle, every apostle with the exception of John, died a violent death. And there are many, many more examples. All you got to do is go through and just read some of the things. Stephen was stoned to death because he told of the history of Israel. James, John's brother, was put to death by the sword by Herod. And Jesus, for goodness sake, Jesus. He was crucified. He was beaten. He was tortured. Basically, he was spit upon. He was slapped and nailed to a cross. And I mentioned this recently, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it lists a great group of faith people. And at the end, it says they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, it says, All who want to live a godly life in Christ will, will suffer persecution. How have you been persecuted during your life? COVID? I don't doubt that COVID is real. I don't doubt its severity. But I don't think you got it because you are a Christian. What if someone close to you dies? And we've had a number of those lately. We have had, it seems, an inordinate amount. We've had all kinds of tragedies like that. But has it because been because we're Christians? And I know what you're probably saying. What does this have to do with transformation, Jim? You talked last week that, that our theme for the year was about being transformed. Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Well, here are the lessons we can get from that. Number one, we must transform from I'll do it myself to I must rely on God. We've talked about this before, but I need to talk about it again. 
we, we use an interesting phrase. Well, God won't give me more than I can, can bear. I mean, I've heard that, and I've heard it since I've talked about it. And I want to scream, you know, no, did you not listen to what I was saying? That's okay. You can say it again. I'll just scream the next time. We take that from a verse that's found on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. The passage that we use from that, we take out of context, we say, God won't make me, uh, God won't let me have more than I can bear. And that's not what that verse is talking about. He's talking about temptation. He's not talking about our life. He's not talking about the things that we have to go through or the things that we do go through because we're Christians. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 11, Paul says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. Does that sound, does that sound like, well, God won't give us more than we can bear? He said it was beyond our strength. So that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. What Paul says, and we're going to keep going here in just a minute, Paul says, we trust in a God who raises from the dead. It sounds to me as if they expected to die. And he said, you know what? We trust in a God who raises people from the dead. I don't think he was saying that because, oh, you know, we trust in a God that raises. I think he said he was thinking this is going to happen to me. And he goes on and says, he has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hopes in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers, and then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. We've got to let go. One of the hardest moments of my life, and I imagine some of you, was to give your car keys to your teenagers and to realize that they were going to drive without you. Admit it, you sat in your house and thought, I hope they don't run over somebody. But at some point, you have to let go. At some point, you have to say, it's not up to me anymore. And it's the same with God. There's a, there was a, a, not a bumper sticker, I guess, a license plate that people used to put on the front of their cars. And it said, God is my co-pilot. If God is your co-pilot, you're in trouble. <laughs> Later on, I saw somebody put God as my pilot, and they got it right. But number two, our pain and suffering, persecution, refines us into something else. It makes us better people. 
few years of my life were spent in West Virginia. And if you go up and down the Ohio Valley, uh, the Ohio River Valley, you will see all kinds of steel mills and places like that. Pittsburgh is another place. In fact, they call the football team up there, what? The Pittsburgh Steelers. And you see, the way you make steel is you take iron ore. I think I've got a picture of this, the next one, yeah. You take iron ore and you heat it up. And you heat it so much that the steel portion of that comes out. They used to do the same thing, and I guess they still do with gold and silver. You heat it up to get out, get rid of the impurities. And then you have pure gold or pure silver. In fact, I, I was reading through this and reading about this. And they said, you, you can just continue to heat it and continue to heat it and continue to get rid of impurities. That's what happens to us when we go through the trials that God is transforming us. That he's making us into what we need to be. Peter said to the people who were dispersed because of persecution in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You may be going through a trial right now. It may be extremely difficult for you right now. I've had people in my office talk to me about things like this, and it may be extremely hard. And you can suffer through it and say, why me? Or, you can say, how is God going to transform me in this? Number three, we need to realize that there is something far more valuable ahead of us. It's what made Paul able to say, light and momentary. It's what made the apostles rejoice when they were persecuted for the name of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus from the beginning in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can you imagine the glory that was all His? And He left. He left to become obedient, the Scripture says, even unto death. Even death on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews chapter 11, it leads into chapter 12, where it says, Then the writer tells us there, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to what he says here. Who for the joy that lay before him, Let me read that again. Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross 
and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. What was it that kept Jesus on the cross? And I've heard a number of things. I think one of the things is the joy that laid before him. He knew he was going back to the Father. Remember that list of faithful in Hebrews chapter 11? The world was not worthy of them. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about them. Hebrews chapter 11, 39 and 40. He says, these were all commended for their faith. And yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. There's more. I I feel like the guy from Shamwell, you know. Wait, there's more. And I can't help but tell you as a preacher of the gospel to don't give up because there's more. There's more than you can ever imagine. But we've got to rely on God. We've got to trust in Him and rely on Him rather than rely on ourselves. We must be refined. We've got to go through the furnace of the trials and the things that happened. Then we must realize there's more. And he's got a place for you. He says, I just want you to persevere. 